Hey, I'm Elia Einhorn. Thank you so much for joining us for the TalkHouse Music Podcast live at Samsung 837. This has been an awesome series where we have notable artists in conversation about their, or in today's case, other people's art. So far, we've had Hamilton's Javier Munoz in conversation with Hedwig and the Angry Inch's John Cameron Mitchell, Wyclef Jean in conversation with the Arcade Fire's Will Butler about the Fuji's seminal record, The Score, on its 20th birthday. And our most recent podcast, which is out today on thetalkhouse.com, is Nicholas Reffin, whose new movie, The Neon Demon, is in theaters now, with Aaron Stewart on. Eric Slick, a.k.a. Teach, is drummer for Rootsy Indie Rocker's Dr. Dog and has played with Ween, Adrian Ballou Power Trio, and Frank Zappa Tribute Act Project Object, as well as members of Wilco and Grizzly Bear, amongst many others. He recently wrote an amazing piece for the Talkhouse about his Danaticism, or his fanaticism for the band Steely Dan. Eric is also one-third of Philly noise punk band Lithuania, alongside today's other guest, Dominic Angelella, who's also played in Dragon King. The two go way back, and Steely Dan has been a big bond between them. They were kind enough to come by Samsung 837 to discuss the one, the only, the multifaceted and complicated Steely Dan. Guys, can you please introduce people who may not know the Dan to a little bit of the music and history? Absolutely. Well, Steely Dan uh, is our favorite band ever, maybe? Yeah, it's definitely up there. It's definitely up there. We bonded over Steely Dan in around 2005. We were uh, both students at the Jazz School University of the Arts, and um, we, uh, we got really into the Dan. The Dan um, formed, I guess, in around 1967 at Bard College. Is that correct, Dominic? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yes, yes. You know, uh, honestly, I'm not too big on the Wikipedia edge of Steely Dan. <laughs> a lot of it has been a personal journey for me and their music. Uh, so I'd like to leave this with you. I think you know sure, sure. a little well, bit more than I do. Well, Steely Dan formed around 1967 while they were at college. Okay. And uh, their first drummer, uh, a lot of people don't know this, was the... Uh, raging actor Chevy Chase. Um, he, he played drums for the very first Steely Dan gig, and I, I don't actually think they were called Steely Dan at first. They had some name like Wild Feathers or like... That would make sense. Sequined Feathers. Or Are, have we crossed into 70 yet, or is this the late no, 60s? No, no, we're still? still in the late 60s. They were still playing Bard parties, and then around 1969, there was a bust at Bard, and uh, some of their friends went to jail. It's chronicled in the tune uh, My Old School, but we're getting ahead of ourselves a Classic. little bit. Sure. So... Um, I guess after that, they became a full-fledged group. Uh, they put up like a bunch of signs around school that were like, um, you know, people who are into uh, Sonny Rollins and Charlie Parker and Frank Zappa. And it was like of, an anti-hippie thing. It was an anti-hippie thing. So sure. they, like, they put up like a sign like, hey, call this number if you're into any of these bands and if you can like rip on mm -hmm. your instrument. Right? True. So uh, the, the Rippers uh, called them, Jesse and the Rippers. No, the Rippers called them and... Um, <laughs> Uh, by 1972, they released their first album, Can't Buy a Thrill. And that's where we start. And that's where we start. So, uh, Dom, tell me a little bit about uh, your introduction to Steely Dan. Okay. So, uh, I believe you and I both come from very musical families. Um, my... My parents aren't musicians, but my dad in particular is a uh, like hyper music fan. Like once I reached a certain age where he didn't have to like look after me constantly, he just started buying records again. And it was just sort of like this return to form where he rediscovered music. Um, and as a result, I got into like tons of weird stuff from knowing him as my dad, like... Um, Easter Sunday, I would get like a copy of uh, Nevermind the Bullocks, Here's the Sex Pistols, and Double Nickels on the Dime by the Minutemen. Um, so I was really exposed to a lot of punk 
uh, psychedelic rock, that kind of thing. But the one side of music I was not exposed to was the 70s smooth thing. And um, Steely Dan in particular struck me as something different than all of that other music that my dad and my mom really just sort of uh, poo-pooed a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. So in a way, Steely Dan was my punk rock. You, you, like know? I, you like how I just laughed when you said poop. Yeah, well, it's it's all about the language here. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it was so different than what I was used to. There's all this weird instrumentation. It's not jazz, but it's not pop music. It's it exists in this sort of weird middle ground. So I, I was I was really intrigued in it. And then when I went to jazz school, um, sophomore year, I joined the Steely Dan Ensemble. Uh, which was a really interesting experience and allowed me to get a deeper knowledge and understanding and appreciation of this strange, strange band. Uh, and I feel like it is very apt that we are here in New York City right now, <laughs> the two of us discussing. I know. Part of me feels like uh, the two primary songwriters of uh, Steely Dan are just going to waltz in at any moment. Yeah, like. and like immediately take down everything we're saying. <laughs> yeah. uh, because another thing that about this band that I love so much is just the brutal sarcasm that emanates every single lyric uh in in this band it's just it's unrelenting it's unstoppable i just but what the heck are they singing about these steely dans <sighs> you know um i guess i'll go into my history oh, about please. Steely... Oh, i'm sorry eric could, oh, oh, could you yeah. please oh, oh, could sure. you please tell me about your history with steely dan of course well yes. um steely dan was uh not really allowed in my house growing up which is interesting because my parents are such musical people mm. um but my dad was way more into like blues rock so like cream so we have like a shared history here we have a, yeah we have a little bit of shared history here mm. uh, um yeah it seems like my dad was really into blues rock and progressive rock and surely like steely dan would pop in there somewhere and we actually had every steely dan record on vinyl but it was sort of like my dad would make these passing comments like those are your mother's records <laughs> <laughs> and i'd be like what does that mean oh. um and then uh, we got AOL uh, very early. <laughs> um, for, for our younger listeners, can you explain what America oh, that's, Online? Oh, uh, that's America Online. Okay. Uh, you would get a CD in the mail. Yes. And uh, that would be the software that you'd install in your CD-ROM drive on your uh, tower of a computer. Okay. That took up about half of the room. Thank you. The computer room. Uh, you used to have a computer room at your house. Um, I feel like people still might. Yeah, but I, we had like a computer. That was like the computer room. So anyway, uh, my mom's first AOL screen name, uh, which is okay because it's dead. So don't worry about this. No one can email my mom. Uh, but it was just Katie Lied, which is the name of a Steely Dan record. It was it's, Katie Lied Oh No, wasn't it? It was Katie Lied Oh No. Yes, exactly. Um, I didn't want to go there. I don't know why my mom wrote Oh No after it, but it was a way of her... Uh, um, I think she also may have that might have been like her uh, her moniker, like her, her pseudonym. Like my mom went by Katie online mm. just to like protect her identity. This was like early I ident respect, identity I protection. That. So I remember being like, you know, so like the Dan was just like in the ether in sure. my house. Like my it was like my mom's thing, and my dad would be like, "No, we're never going to put on Steely Dan records." And then, um, so in the article I recently wrote for the Talk House, I talk about uh, the the first. Uh, project object tour that I was on and uh, I was geeking out on drum forums and uh, Bernard Purdy the drummer for many Steely Dan songs uh, popped up and it was like oh there's this beat that Bernard Purdy is this like signature beat called the Purdy Shuffle yes. uh, which sort of is, is like this uh, slinky like I mean I can play it we can play it later uh, sure we can, we can roll a song with the Purdy Shuffle um, but then it led me to Babylon Sisters from the Steely Dan record Gaucho and also Home at Last too uh, yes was Home at Last uh, yeah 
they're they're basically the same beat, but I feel like the most refined version of it is Babylon Sisters. That's interesting because I got into it via Home at Last. Oh yeah, and because, that that's a great segue because uh, Home at Last was one of your first big Dan moments. Yes. Right? Okay. Yes, so so course. we both so we both bonded over Purdy Shuffle songs. I think that's interesting. <sighs> wow. Yeah. Wow. It comes more and more. Do you want to do you want to give an example? We can play uh, sure. an example of the Purdy Shuffle. Um, it's not like the Super Bowl Shuffle. It's very different mm. than the Super Bowl Shuffle. Um, <laughs> anyone hey, know what the, anyone know what the Super Bowl Shuffle is? I don't know what the Super Bowl Shuffle is. Uh, it has to do with the 1986 Super Bowl. It's uh, okay. Just don't don't worry about it. Um, so here is "Home at Last" by Steely Dan, we, and uh, we'll be talking over it and with it. Mm. Mm. You can't fake that funk. So much air drumming that I, me- I immediately go into without even thinking about it. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> okay, so, so check this out. So, like, this this was a song that I did in uh, the Steely Dan Ensemble in college. Let Donald sing for a second. Let's, oh. let's, let's, let's look down. There's just so much going on. There's so much going on. Listen to that headroom. You can turn it up and it just sounds better. Yeah. So, so yeah, so this song was a Steely Dan ensemble song, but I already knew about it um, because uh, in my earlier days, I was a, uh, I was a folk punk artist <laughs> uh, around uh, 17, 18. And um, one of my favorite uh, singer-songwriters of the time, uh, John Darnielle of the Mountain Goats, covered a Steely Dan song, which we will get to later. Mm-hmm. But I decided that I was going to do a folk punk version of Home at Last. Oh, wow. Uh, which is lost to the ages unless you overpaid for my tape uh, <laughs> on my first folk punk tour. But I don't think it was as successful as I wanted it to be. But the thing about this song that really grabs me are the lyrics. Because it's so they're so ominous. And to me, the lyrics are really what separates... Steely Dan from every other soft rock band in that sort of group. Yeah, there, there's a heavy Bob Dylan influence there. Sure, yeah, of course. Sort of like a like a New York early New York hipster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. It's no surprise that the name Steely Dan comes from the William Burroughs book Naked Lunch. Yes, yes. Moving on from Home at Last, um, we have my introduction, which is uh, also a Purdy Shuffle beat uh, for the song Babylon Sisters. Now, I just wrote in depth about this song online and. Um, talked a little bit about the character development of this song but um let's listen to a snippet of babylon sisters and you can hear the similarities between home at last and babylon sisters in basically the same tempo (laughs) so i was fully obsessed with this song completely immersed in this song like the whole thing or just the drum part or everything about this song what about it was so obsess worthy to you electric piano sound so check oh check out this story. So I was on tour with Adrian Ballou in Georgia, and we were opening up for the renowned jam band Umphreys McGee. Mm. <laughs> and uh, they had a they had this uh, crappy looking keyboard backstage, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna like just futz around on it, and I hit the demo button, and it was Babylon Sisters. Wow, that electric piano so- sound was that keyboard. Okay. 
Oh, there's a shuffle. All right, I hear it. Yeah, it's the pretty shuffle. Cool. It's like a triplet based for all you musicians out there. That's a triplet. Ghost notes on the snare drum. Now, I recently uh, saw Steely Dan play um, mm. up in Port Chester. At the uh, Capitol Theater. At the Capitol Theater uh, with, with my good friend Brendan Mulvihill. And um, this song, I believe, was on the set list somewhere around Hey 19. Mm. Um, and so when you talked about the connection between the song and Hey 19, I was, I was interested. Um, do you want to get a little into the lyrical connection between some of these songs? Oh, you mean do like a live Dan Vinci code? Yes, yeah, of course. Yeah. Can you explain the Dan Vinci code a little bit? Which sure, is something sure. we've been talking about for a while on tour mm-hmm. uh, and in off tour and in sure. the moments in between. Okay, okay. so the Dan Vinci Code is sort of like this theory that um, much like um, Frank Zappa's theory of conceptual continuity, meaning that like every piece of music is tied together with characters and uh, a narrative, um, that's, that, that's sort of like what our Dan Vinci Code is. We think that all the Steely Dan songs are tied together in some way. Uh, there's recurring characters, there's mm. themes, uh, there's little musical motifs that are maybe... Um, replicated in in songs and you might not even be conscious of it it's just happening and maybe uh fagan and becker are really aware of it so um it's it's interesting to me uh gaucho the record the the last steely dan record of the classic era so the classic era is like 1972 to 1980 right um it's uh it's a pretty bleak record it was made during a really hard period of time for the band uh Lots of just crazy stuff going on. And um, Babylon Sisters is like this midlife crisis jam. And Hey 19 is also uh, in the same vein. It's uh, an older man with a younger woman, and uh, they should not be together. They should not be in public together. Uh, it's, it is shunned by society. Mm. Um, so let's listen to a little bit of Hey 19. Um, and then we'll talk about the monologue in Hand 19. Which is a very important part of the live aspect of Steely Dan, but we will get there in a second. Ooh. <laughs> right? I mean, you just want to pretend to bend that string, baby. <laughs> you do air synthesizer. Sixty-seven, the year they were barred. I was a dandy, mm. I was a dandy apricot. <laughs> Is that what he said? I don't think so. Sweet things from Boston, so young and Ugh. That snare drum sound is perfect. So, I gotta, I gotta think about this for a second. See, so the thing I'm trying to figure out is like these lyrics are so unrepentant, like does not paint him in a positive light at all. Does is is Fagan aware of this? Do you think he's portraying a character or do you think this is him? I think he's portraying a character. You think so? I mean, yeah. I, I think so, too, because this character exists in so many Steely Dan songs. Um, this sort of old hipster past his prime trying to navigate a world that is no longer relationships, really. He's yeah, trying, he's trying to get navigate uh, friendships and relationships. OK. Okay, so recently Eric and I realized that there was like a, a through line um, from this 2016 concert that I attended and a concert almost 10 years ago that you attended. 
Um, and where was this concert? It was in Ottawa. <laughs> okay, uh, what kind of concert was it in Ottawa? Blues Fest. <laughs> okay, so Steely Dan played the Ottawa Blues Fest along with Adrian Ballou and who else? And Zappa plays Zappa. Zappa, mm, plays Zappa. Very curious. Very Interesting. Curious. None of these I would really classify as blues artists. No. Um, who else was on the bill? Is there Feist? Oh, Feist. Yeah, I, is Feist a blues a blues musician? I don't think so. They should, okay. have, call, they should have called it uh, Music Fest. Uh, I think but that a, exists in Bethlehem, PA. With a K. Um, now, in this performance of Hey 19, what exactly happened here that? That made you excited. So during this part. This specific, the vamp, if you will. They gave Walter Becker a microphone. Okay. Which is unusual. And what happened when they gave Walter Becker this microphone? He, d- he did a speech about um, being in Tijuana. Mm. Are you allowed, are you able to tell us what he said? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was like, a, okay, Cuervo Gold. Okay. The fine Colombian. Okay. Makes tonight... A wonderful thing. So it, the 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 monologue led into those lyrics about Cuervo Gold, uh, which is a. Can you tell me a little bit about Cuervo Gold? Uh, yeah, there there are different things that that people do to have fun. Yeah, um, and Cuervo Gold is one of things, one of those things. But anyway, um, Walter Becker gets on the microphone. And he's like, yeah, you know, because um, that's his voice. He's like. Well, uh, when I was on vacation with my wife in Tijuana, you know, we were dancing all night and we were just having a good time. And, you know, before I knew it, I was having a drink of Quibble So it went like right into that. Uh, wow. OK, can you run can you run that instrumental part back? again? Oh, sure. sure. Really quick. Yeah, sure. I'm trying to set the scene up uh, for anyone who might be listening. Yeah. So. You know, eight years after that fact, I'm I'm at the Capitol Theater. That's that's right. I'm, my memories are a little hazy. I was partaking a little Cuervo Gold myself. <laughs> um, I'm sitting there watching them, and they give Walter Becker a mic, and he starts on his own rant about Port Chester and gentrification. And it gets really intense and really, really, really personal because it's around where he grew up. And then before you knew it, he started rhyming. And it almost became this sort of weird rap that was somewhere in between the beat poets and like early 80s hip hop. Uh, And I don't really know how he got to the Cuervo Gold part, but suddenly it happened and it seemed to make sense. And so when you told me that this happened, I was like, there's got to be a reason. I mean, maybe if the reason is only like, all right, we'll have Walter talk a little bit here. For the fans. I guess, but maybe there's something else there. I don't know. Why does it sound so good? I don't know. I Okay, we should talk about that. Why does it sound so good? Why is it that that you and I are well, I think I think that you're you're really um a perfectionist uh with music and I really appreciate that because I'm not so much that <laughs> That's our dynamic. Yeah. Dom's like, "Oh, let's throw this mic on the ground. That sounds good." Yeah, it, and it usually does. Um but <laughs> but you know, I think this is a this band is a great middle ground because they're so annoyingly perfect. Mm, yes. Like there's that we were just talking about that the classic albums where they had like six dudes come in and play guitar on what song was that? Was it Peg? Yeah, it was on Peg, yeah. Um and uh, and every guitar solo is incredible. It's just like something that I would be honored to play and and, and yet they would make fun of every single yeah, take. Going, that oh, got that was a wrong note. Oh, I oh. hear that wrong note. Yeah. Oh, that doesn't sound very good at all. It's almost like Andy Van Halen playing on the track. Um, Do they say that? <laughs> something like that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it sounds like some sort of heavy metal bebop. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. totally. <laughs> um, I mean, they're so they're so perfectionist, and um, 
I, uh, even in uh, Babylon Sisters, that song was mixed 274 times before they landed on the final mix. And how long do you think each mix took? Oh, I can only imagine them deliberating over it in the studio with, uh, you know, some sort of speakers that were constructed out of the finest, uh, <laughs> the finest wood of the time with the finest uh, speaker cone. Just them sitting there, uh, like smoking cigarettes and being like, it's not, it's not there. It's not there. Yeah. And he- hearing frequencies that other people don't hear. And actually, I find a lot of similarities with that in my work with Dr. Dog because Scott and Toby, the, the songwriters in Dr. Dog, are they, they will also sit in front of the speakers for hours and hours and hear frequencies that I just don't hear. Yeah, that's so crazy. I mean, it, it's so wild that some ears are attuned to that. And like you hear that, you like, hear that, and I'm like, where is that? Is that your tinnitus? What is that? It's like, it's like whenever, uh, I, I feel like this way when I deal with drummers, when you guys are like, oh, there's like this ping on the snare that I'm just like, it sounds like a snare drum. Oh, you mean like the Metallica St. Anger snare yeah, drum? Yeah, like it sounds like St. Anger. And <laughs> like, dong, dong. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. But, sure. Um, but I everything th- on these tracks are so perfect. I think that in today's musical landscape, there's uh, sort of a, a, a lack of attention to the production qualities, with the exception of a very few records. Uh, mm. The couple records that have come out in the past year that I've been really blown away by, like Chris Cohen's record or yeah. Andy Schaaf's record, where it's like you you sense that there's a real attention to detail. But I think on the whole, a lot of people are making music in their computer. A lot of people are making it uh, on the cheap. So the sound quality of something is... I got Neil Young in here. Oh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Really, you should buy my Pono device. (laughs) I like how I'm giving everybody the same voice. Yeah, it's great. I'm giving every old, like, curmudgeon the same voice. Um, No, my Pono. Do you think that the the perfection uh, in terms of production and everything like that comes from a reaction to the music that was made in the 60s it's possible i mean if all that stuff is mono and you know pretty ragged sounding with the exception of like the later era beatles record i I haven't heard any of those (laughs) the uh, the band the beatles oh sure yeah um yeah maybe it was response to that or maybe or maybe it was just a response to uh, maybe they were just such perfectionists and because they didn't uh steely dan did not go on tour they went on like maybe one tour when they first started and then they evolved into a studio-only band, and mm. uh, they worked with the producer Gary Katz, who seemingly has no other credits outside of Steely Dan. Do you think that's a pseudonym for like just them? Do you think Gary Katz is like a deli that they went to in New York, and, <laughs> and now that's we went down to Gary Katz? Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, we probably he's probably a real guy, and he's gonna come in. Yeah, Gary Katz, like, excuse me, <laughs> <laughs> these Grammys d- don't claim themselves. Did did he produce every Steely Dan record, or was it just was it just a couple? Every single one has Gary Katz's signature on them, except uh, with the exception of uh, the uh, Grammy winning um, two two against Nature, which was released in the year two thousand, which famously beat out Kid A by Radiohead for Album of the Year. See, now, see, see, Steely Dan rules a lot more than people want to let on because, um, you know, Steely Dan versus Radiohead. I'm gonna take the Dan. I'm, you know, I don't want to be depressed. I want to listen to. I want to listen to some <laughs> breezy boat music. Yeah, but you were like, we were driving around listening to that new Radiohead song, and you were just like making fun of the lines and stuff like that. Oh, so. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm just uh, a hater. It's okay. Uh, that's what I love about you. Um, but you know, I, ironically, Two Against Nature was probably the first one that I really listened to because that was the one that my parents had. Cause like, you know, it was the year 2000, everyone still bought CDs. So they were like, Oh, it won a Grammy, like let's cop. Mm-hmm. And I remember hearing that song Cousin Dupree and just thinking like, what is wrong with these people? <laughs> like there, this song is just about like being in love with your cousin. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact that they like, were just like, okay, we're going to, we're going to just like. 
we're gonna just make a song about this. Sounds that's, good. That's You're, what Steely Dan does. They put they they're controversial. You know, they're they're uh, combative. Yeah. Steely Dan's combative. They're punk rock. Let me tell you, Steely Dan's punk rock. I mean, I think so. I, you know, but you know, producing the records, just the two of them with Gary Cass, Gary, you know, yeah, just, just doing it all, is. doing it all on their own dime. Yeah. All on their own dime? On their own d- double nickels on the dime. No, oh, um, oh, so that's, we, we should talk about that. We can talk about that in a second. We're getting a little tangential here because I think we need to complete the Dan Vinci code a little bit for Hey 19 and Bad, or uh, Hey 19 and Babylon. Sisters. Please, because it continues after that. So I, I guess we, we, um, we just made the connection that the character in, Hey 19 and Babylon Sisters is probably the same person because Babylon Sisters talks about a man who, uh, you know, is way past his prime, yes. hanging out with younger women, doing just just doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And then you've got Hey 19, which is like the the nighttime scene. They're at the bar. Mm-hmm. No, we can't. We can't talk. We can't dance. Like I'm realizing that this is you're out of my league. I'm an older man. This is not going to work. It's probably Chuck Steiner, who I bring up in the article. He's a, a character that I've created uh, that I'm using as a pseudonym for, much like my mom using Katie as a pseudonym for her AOL screen name. Uh, this is sort of like a name. Do you feel like in a way we are all Chuck Steiner? In, in a way, we're no. No, um, definitely not. So, so, so in terms of the story, we've got – I don't want to get too deep here for, for like the, uh, the Dan um, – Newbies here. Oh, Dan Noob. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if we're looking at this as a story, right? The, the, the Dan Noob. You've got oh, wait, oh, that's the blue Dan Noobs. That's oh what we're going to call them. Okay. Uh, so, so this whole Dan, I'm going to do a little quick sidetrack here before we get back to the story. This whole Dan, uh, like uh, putting it into words as to reference Steely Dan, I thought that this was something that we uh, had come up with. Uh, with stuff like the Dan Vinci code or like saying dumb stuff on tour mm-hmm. about Steely Dan. But then when I went to see them, uh, you know, Fagan got to talk for a second and he uh, like, you know, sort of played a little jazzy number on the piano and then reached in the like got really close to the microphone and said, this tour is called the Dan who knew too much. This band is called the Dan who knew too much. And I just was dumbfounded because I was like, this is just something that they've been doing. They're in on the joke. This is an inside joke. They understand how ridiculous they are. Um, their, their tours have famously had very strange names yeah. like the Cantaloupe Gorgonzola tour. Uh-huh. <laughs> They're not, it's not that, but there's the Cantaloupe Gorgonzola is a pretty good name for a tour though. And m- my friend Steve uh, one time called me, I think this was two years ago, and he is someone who, who I, I, I think he knows more about Steely Dan than I do. And he went, have you seen the, the tour routing for this tour? It's funny. And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, the places they're playing are funny. They're playing in Peoria. Uh, you know, they're, they're playing, they're not playing in any major cities. They're playing in these like funny sounding name towns. And he went, they're doing this on purpose. Don't you understand? <laughs> they're doing it only around like a uh, third, third market guitar center locations. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're like tertiary market, like, this is where that like least successful guitar center is. This is where like all the Dan. This is where we're selling the most Dan songbooks. Yeah, but I, th- I think maybe they want to see these places, you know. I think so too. I think they're probably bored of touring the states, and I don't think that Steely Dan tours Europe that much because of Donald Fagan's Kidney Crystals. Which, if you read his book Eminent Hipsters, which I highly recommend on Penguin Classics, he talks <laughs> about he talk, he, he uh, basically complains for fifty pages about how he's got kidney crystals. I forgot that his his autobiography is in Penguin Classics, like along with like Frankenstein yeah. and. <laughs> and like and like uh like um grapes of wrath the, the great gatsby <laughs> yeah. and i mean it's, it, it's up there you know it's definitely God, up there it makes so much sense it's a definitely a high it's high on the good reads list 
<laughs> um, so, so anyway, back to the Dan Vinci Code. Uh, I, I think that th- these two songs that you're talking about fit perfectly in the middle of the story, which begins with something like Ricky Don't Lose That Number. Kid, Kid Charlemagne. I think it starts with Kid Charlemagne. You think the story begins with Kid Charlemagne? I think the story begins with Kid Charlemagne. It's a drug dealer who uh, gets caught by the cops, and or he, he's about to get caught by the cops, and then he leaves town. He leaves San Francisco, where he's located, and... Uh, moves over to LA because the LA scene is way more his speed. Okay. Um, San Francisco is a little too dangerous for him. Mm. Uh, can't really operate his business. He was the, he was the king of his scene in San Francisco, but he outgrew it. Which in a way is interesting because Kid Charlemagne sampled by Kanye West ah. on the album Graduation, mm. which has a similar idea. You know, he no longer can be held down by his beginnings and is now expanding to this level of superstar, which has a lot to do with Los Angeles. Mm. Um, so maybe he sampled Steel. Down on purpose. God, that moment. Besides it being, besides it being fantastic. Yeah, it's an amazing song. Yeah. Um, um God, you, want, you, want, you want to listen to Kanye's champion real quick? Yeah, like just just the intro. Sure. Um, man, the first moment I heard that when I got the graduation leak, like, you know, though I bought it legally later, uh, so he could beat Fifty Cent in like the Kanye Fifty battle. Uh-huh. I was like, man, I knew that Kanye was cool, and he like that record had Can on it. It oh, had, yeah, yeah, yeah. The song Drunken Hot Girl yeah, that, samples can from, uh, is it from Tego Mega or is it from A.G. Bamiyasi? Uh, A.G. Bamiyasi, okay. yeah. Let's, listen, let's, let's uh, listen to a little bit of Champion, uh, which samples the song Kid Charlemagne. Kid right? Charlemagne. Yeah. Champion in their eyes. Yes, I did. did you realize Wait, did you get the clean version? Uh... <laughs> Yes, I did. So well, you understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You understand what Champion is sampling. Mm. Song Kid Charlie, which is the, uh, the, really the, the beginning of Chuck's story in the Dan Vinci Code. Yeah, so, however, the, the sampling doesn't end there, which I think really is a testament to the groovy nature of Steely Dan. Yes, because we're not the only people who appreciate it. It's true. Um, Peter yeah. Guns and Lord Tariq. Yes, and of course, we've got uh, British girl group All Saints. Did you know? That that uh, All Saints have sampled Steely Dan. I believe All Saints was the group most famous for covering Under the Bridge. By Red Hot Chili Peppers? Yes. They did? I would recommend you listen to it. It's like, it's, sometimes it's, I feel yeah, like that. Yeah, it's it's horrifying. Oh, um, well, well, okay. <laughs> so, so All Saints uh, covers a song that still confuses me to no end. A Steely Dan song called The Fez, which is from The Royal Scam. Mm. This song is only two lyrics. This is this is probably the least verbose Steely Dan song in the catalog. Yeah. There's no story to it other than uh, the Fez. It's uh, we can listen to the Fez and then we'll listen to the All Saints. Yeah, drop sample. the beginning of the Fez and then drop the beginning sure. of the All Saints thing. Steely Dan was really into doing these kinds of intros around this oh. time period. Kind of like a Philly disco. I believe this is also Bernard Pretty Purdy. I think so. Kind of a Larry Gold sound of Philadelphia orchestral arrangement. All right, now drop that remix. Okay. Let's run that back. This is All Saints. This song went to number two. In what country? It's <laughs> the Brexit. Oh, I know, I know, I know, I know. 
You get the idea. So it sampled elements of the Fez from 1976's The Royal Scam. I was thinking about that when when we were earlier discussing the the like you know the significance of the Fez, uh, along with whatever our, our theories are for the lyrics. Um, I think it's it acts as sort of a palate cleanser on that record. It's a it's a heavy record. There's Caves of Altamira. You oh, get a lot ca- of stuff. Ca- Caves of Altamira. Green which, earrings. We, can we talk about Caves of Altamira for a second? How <laughs> no our, our our drummer in Lithuania, Ricardo, was in a band called Altamira, named after the Caves of Altamira. It goes deep. Y'all were like free jazz noise punk stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. So maybe See, that's a good transition into punks who love steely dan like like ourselves okay um so you and i bonded over steely dan when we first started our group lithuania i'm pulling my notes out here this is where it's important this is very important keep going no it's okay to pull your notes out it's it's cool um we we started talking about steely dan when we were in jazz school and we're like yeah you know like we we were talking about the boredoms we're talking about captain beefheart we were talking about melt banana lightning bolt you know bonding over all these noisy bands and then we're like wait we both like steely dan that's bizarre and the the uh the glue right that that was bonding us was really the minutemen sure we we talk a lot about the minutemen uh they were an sst band in the 80s um made some of the greatest punk albums ever including one that we talk about and when one that's already come up is double nickels on the dime yeah and sure enough like halfway through Double Nickels on the Dime, you get a Dr. Wu cover. Um, so I'm, I'll play a little bit of Dr. Wu from Steely Dan, and then we'll play the deconstructed punk version of Dr. Wu. I can't wait. This is probably my favorite cover ever in the history of music. So original Dr. Wu on the album Katie Lied. Yes. <laughs> at AOL. Also the only band I ever want to do air piano to. The chords are so good. Is that chimes? Yeah, it's wind chimes. I think this is like a, probably keys with reverb on them. You can sing along to it. I couldn't do it justice, man. You walked in. Fagan, if you're listening, great vocal take. Seriously. I mean, what did Becca really do on this song? Oh, come on. Don't <laughs> ever bring that up, man. I'm going to get hate mail from Walter Becker. Seriously. He's more powerful than you realize. He's going to stab me with his steely knife. Okay, so... Okay, okay. So, so, so are you with me, Dr. Wu? By the way, there is a dentist in Philadelphia. Named Dr. Dr. Wu. Dr. Wu. Yeah. And every time I walk by, my heart just bursts with joy. Minuteman. Oh, yeah. So this is where I think the lyrics of this song fit into the Dan Vinci code. Oh, yeah? You want to get into that? Yeah, well, no, I'd like to keep this going if it's okay. okay. okay, okay. Um, So we've got Ricky Don't Lose That Number, right? And then this, to me, is like the the in-between period in his life where he's starting to kind of do his downward, you know, spiral, if you will. Oh, sure. uh, Into Bring Nine nine Inch Nails into it. Like, you know, old Aiden being washed up, he's... He's seeing like the negative side of like the the dark underbelly of this city of Los Angeles that he loves so dearly. Mm. He's waiting on someone. He's gonna give him a taste, but this person isn't coming. 
Mm. And I think it segues perfectly into Deacon Blues. So the one thing I wanted to talk about something else. Um, last year, uh, Steely Dan played uh, the wonderful Coachella Festival. Oh, yes. Um, and I remember there was this sort of moment where we had this like cultural reappropriation of Steely Dan. Yes. Uh, where like, you know, I think Pitchfork posted an article like, is it cool to like Steely Dan now? Like the top 10 Steely Dan songs you may have missed. Vice wrote an article about how Steely Dan was great. Uh, and yeah, we're not riding any coattails here, but no, no, but no. I'm, but I'm I, excited that there's a Dan resurgence. You know why we're not riding any coattails is because it stopped. Like <laughs> the, it was, it was probably like a two month period and then it was out and you know who replaced him? The Grateful Dead. But let me tell you something. If we could somehow get some kind of charity benefit compilation where everyone covers Steely Dan, Ooh. I think we could really bring this back. Like we get Michael McDonald. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking we we go for the younger crowd. Like I think we could do Mac like, DeMarco. Yeah, we could do Mac DeMarco Tame and Impala. the dude from Dive. You know, like oh, get, War on Drugs still have heavy Steely Dan. You oh, you know, know, you want to talk about the War on Drugs Steely Dan connection? I mean, talk about. I feel like War on Drugs are maybe the one of the bands that is like a perfectionist. Yes. Like, they spent a lot of time in the studio perfecting their sounds, and that record sounds really good. You know, uh, uh, that's the thing that's why that record stuck out. Yeah. It took, like, three years to make it. We could get, like, Wilco and Becker doing dirty work together live. <laughs> I think it would be fantastic. We should definitely get Mac DeMarco on Reeling in the Ears, though. Yes. Yeah. But there's something I wanted to read, um, if, I, if I'm allowed to. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So during this time, this tour that was led around Coachella, uh, Donald Fagan uh, posted a live tour diary. Uh, and I believe that even in his age, he has not declined in sarcasm. Uh, He's mellowed out at all. And to me, this is a really great example of why they're so different than most of the musicians. This is him at Coachella. Like the previous Friday, most of the music I heard was in the circa 1965 Dylan-esque mode, minus genius or anything like that. I've been hearing this stuff for more than half a century, and it's getting pretty dreary. Jeez, that's how I started out more or less. I'm sure these guys don't even know they're doing early Bob. At least hip-hop, which is tough for me to listen to, has got a few genuine eccentrics. Maybe something awesome will turn up. Maybe not. As the empire declines, so does cultural literacy and almost everything else. Ironically, high technology, once thought to be the savior of civilization, has become our Alaric I, our barbarian invasion. In increasingly, it looks like life in the future will be nasty, brutish, and long. Wow, and he's even using the de decline of the empire again. He's yeah. always talking about the empire. Babylon, Babylon sister, oh, is talking about the Babylonian We're empire. We're making connections left and right, yeah, yeah, baby. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I wonder, I wonder um, he, he, these themes that he's talking about, he's been talking about them for the entirety of the career of Steely Dan. So yeah. now he's just applying it to his own tour diary. He's also probably has irritated kidneys and he's at a <laughs> festival and he's very upset because the, the porta potty is closed down and he's got nowhere to go. Yeah. So he's forced to watch, you know. ACDC. Oh, yeah. Didn't he say he didn't know who ACDC did, was? He, Donald Fagan does not know who ACDC is, God, which is inc love incredible. Just love it's, it. I just love, I just love when that kind of stuff happens. We're like, yeah, I just never heard of ACDC. Big whoop. It's they perfect. sound like Bob Dylan to me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Bob Dylan ACDC connection. Didn't think that was going to happen today. We did it. Yeah, we Make did. all tons of connections. Yeah, yeah. Here. Um, so... Now that places that places us in 2016. Yes. Um, 
where where do you think the Steely Dan resurgence is going to go? Is it up to us, Lithuania, to carry on the torch? Mm. Do am I going to get like dark aviators and just going to sit in the studio all day obsessing over a ride cymbal sound? It's tough because it, it's like uh, you know I don't really think anyone is really worthy to to take up the mantle of the Dan or to to carry the torch because it's so difficult. Like. It's not like a subtle thing where it's just like, like I think with that Grateful Dead compilation that just came out, it's like there's a lot of different ways you can reinterpret that music. But with Steely Dan, it's so so specific and it's so tough to do it the right way. Like I can tell you that we tried in my Steely Dan ensemble in school, but like it was okay at best. Mm -hmm. You know, like learning those guitar solos was really hard. I was 19. I messed up a lot. Hey, 19. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it it was weird. We tried, but it was tough, you know? So... It would be great to see people try, but I don't know, man. I are are the war on drugs capable? I think I, I think, think they, I think they might be. You know, they're they're going to spend a lot of time on their next record. I think we're going to spend some time on our next record. This is my favorite: is when a music podcast starts, starts sounding like a sports podcast, <laughs> where you're like, next season, I think I think you is know, going to break his ankle again. Yeah, I think Dave and Adam could really do it. Uh, you know, they could do a, a, a track by track Asia in a reinterpretation. I just, you know, my goal in life is to eventually have someone make a classic albums about something that I've worked on and then they turn it up and they're like, oh, that's just terrible. <laughs> oh, listen to that. Listen to that raggedy snare sound. Yeah. That bass tone is like corn or something, you know, mm-hmm. that's For what sure. that's what that's what I'm hoping. Not yeah. to say that not to say anything negative about corn's bass tone. I yeah, love you got to chill on that. Man. I know I'm a big corn. I'm not a corn hater at all. I'm a corn apologist uh, <laughs> talking about talking about new metal maybe band the corn. problem is is that we like too much music and we don't have any taste do you want to do you want to um cap this with like some the the main drag story oh my gosh i feel like okay. i feel i feel like we so, need to talk about the main drag story my my friend steve who i discussed earlier um who talked about peoria he talked about he talked about how funny it was they were playing in peoria he really is responsible for me getting into some some Dan Choice cuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, he used to be in the band Dragon King. And um, one time we were on tour in New York and he went to main drag music. I didn't follow him. Um, but he's looking at guitars, kind of walking around. And then out of the corner of his eye, he sees a long-haired, bespectacled man with his friend trying out different amps. As he gets closer to this man, he hears the man awkwardly mumble, this is the tone I got on Peg. He realizes it's Walter Becker. He texts me and says, dude, I think Walter Becker's here. And I said, you have to go talk to him. And yeah, he, did, he, did he talk to him? He, he did. And he said that he was so um, like kind of bummed out that someone was talking to him that he didn't want to ask for a picture or anything like that. Sure. But he got to shake his hand, and I wish that I was there with him. But I hope one day... Becker, if you're listening, I would love to meet you. And I would love to ask you about the, the tone on Peg. How did you get that tone? What amp are you playing? Or his or? solo record, which we can talk about next time. Yeah. Uh, Hopefully there's a next time. Hopefully. Maybe next time is just like us in the car later. Um, yeah. But yeah. Steely Dan rules. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, you guys. That was, oh, man. Thank that you, was amazing for both the newbies and the Donatics. Donatics. Donatic. Donatics, yes. yeah. The Donatics. Well, listen, Eric Slick, Dominic Angelella, thanks so much for being with us, guys, here at the Talkhouse Music Podcast, live from Samsung 837. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us.